Section 5 of The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 1, October 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Angelisi. The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 1, October 1896, Section 5. My Friend Walker, by Geraldine Mayrick. It was an innocent-looking note, but I shuddered as I read it, for it came to me as convincing evidence of the insanity of an old friend. It read as follows. Squatter's Ranch, Catton, Kern County. Dear Cole, have succeeded at last. Come down here if you want to hear some real good horse sense. I think the conversation will prove interesting. Yours sincerely, Geo Walker. I will make the story as short as possible. Walker and I were born in the same small town in New York State, and had been inseparable companions until he went to Princeton, and I was placed in a lawyer's office in Boston. After that, I somehow lost sight of him, though I occasionally heard of him as beginning to make his way in the scientific world. Common acquaintances would sometimes mention him, always praising his ability, but always adding, Pity he's such a crank. Now... I'm one of the practical sort and despise cranks, so I took no trouble to renew the friendship. In course of time, I married and came out to San Francisco, where, after hard work, I have established a fair practice and raised a respectable family. I put this in because I want you to understand from the first that I am an ordinary, level-headed sort of man, not easily imposed on, and, as I said before, possessing a natural aversion to cranks and their notions. Well, one windy, foggy night I was hurrying from my office to take a car home when a hand was laid on my shoulder. Turning around, I came face to face with Walker. It was impossible to mistake his peculiar features, in spite of the changes made by time. He looked shabby and rather dissipated, but seemed so heartily glad to see me that I felt quite touched, and, after a few words of greeting, rashly asked him to come home and take dinner with me. I could have kicked myself the next minute, for somehow he didn't look just the sort of man to take into one's household. He evidently guessed my thoughts, for he looked down at his shabby boots with a faint smile, then said, quietly, "'Thanks, old man, but I'm not exactly in order for dining out.' Tell you what, though. Come in here and have a drink, and we can talk a few minutes, if you have the time to spare. In here proved to be not the gay saloon on one side of us, but a demure little bakery on the other. We went in, sat down at a little table in a dark corner, and were soon enjoying some fragrant coffee, ignoring the inevitable doughnuts which accompanied it. Well, a great many things have happened since we last met. I said after a somewhat awkward silence. Yes, and I want to tell you something about my share of them, said Walker. You see, I have kept track of you right along and know pretty well everything of interest in your career. But I fancy you don't know much about me. I felt reproved and said nothing. In fact, continued Walker, fixing his eyes on his spoon as he stirred his coffee slowly. In fact, there are some passages in my life which none of my friends know or shall ever know, if I can help it. The truth is, I have made rather a failure of my life so far. I studied awfully hard for a time, then 
just as I was on the point of achieving something, my brain got tired out and, well, I tried to stimulate it. You may guess the result. Keely Cure helped me some, but I haven't much confidence in myself now. That's why we're drinking coffee, he added, apologetically. What are you doing now? I asked, rather at a loss of what to say. Ranching, if you'll believe it. That is, I've rented a few acres down in Kern County. Do you find it pays? No, not yet. But it will, some day. It will make me famous yet. I looked at him searchingly. There undoubtedly was a curious gleam in his eyes. Was the man crazy? Or, equally unpleasant, was he hoping to borrow a few hundred dollars from me on the strength of his brilliant prospects as a farmer? I shook my head disparagingly. Farmers don't seem very prosperous as a rule, I said. Don't they? Really, I know very little about them. You see, I'm trying something a little out of the ordinary. It's an experiment, of course, but you will see that it succeeds. I haven't told a soul about it till now, but we were chums once, so I'll trust you with the secret. You will laugh over it now, I guess, but not in six months' time. He leaned over the table towards me and lowered his voice. You know that fellow Gardner has been trying for a long while to understand the language of monkeys. Well, he's all right, of course, and he may do wonders yet. But I'm going to get ahead of him. Monkeys do talk, no doubt, and he may learn something from them, but I'm tackling a more intelligent animal. The horse. Horses don't exactly talk, but they communicate with each other. They don't chatter and grimace. They're too intelligent for that. They are a decent, clean race that a man may be proud to associate with. Now, I have six horses down on my ranch, have been studying with them for a year past, and, with a triumphant blow of his fist to the shaky table, I have already mastered their language, or whatever you choose to call their medium of communication. I looked at him in alarm. He noticed my expression and laughed shortly. <laughs> I see you think I'm a crank. But I am telling you the simple truth. Now, I'll tell you one thing more, and then you can go home. I am going to teach them to speak our language, or rather, to express themselves in such a way that any man can understand them. I have one nearly trained now. We'll let you know when he's perfect, but mind, not a word of this to anyone, not till it is a complete success. With that, he jumped up, paid for the coffee, and disappeared. I heard nothing of him for two months. Then came the note given above. I started for Kern County the day after receiving it, though not without feeling that I was running of serious risk. I really would not have gone, only it seemed mean not to go down and look after Walker, when his mania was evidently coming to a crisis. Arrived at the little town of Catton, I inquired of the station agent where Squatter's Ranch was, he looked me up and down curiously before he spoke. Where the crazy man lives, do you mean? I mean where Mr. George Walker lives, I replied, with some asperity. No doubt Walker was crazy, but I did not like to have any man I was going to see spoken of in that way. Oh, well, said the agent. I guess he's about as crazy as they make him. That's his house, right over there, with the big barn just back of it. Ah, yes. He raises horses, doesn't he? I asked carelessly. Well, now, I don't know as he raises them, 
but he has half a dozen or so, and he makes as much a fuss over them as if they were white elephants. I picked up my valise and prepared to walk the short distance from the depot to Walker's house, when the agent, after a particularly deliberate expectoration, beckoned me nearer with a side jerk of his head and inquired in a confidential tone, "'Say, do you know that man at all?' "'Yes, I know him well,' I replied firmly. "'Well, now, look here. I wish you'd just tell me what he is trying to do with those horses.' Some folks say he's training them for a circus. Here he looked at me interrogatively, but I said nothing. He picked up a bit of wood and whittled it carefully as he walked beside me to the end of the platform. And there are others say he's crazy and ought to be sent to Stockton. But I reckon he's harmless. He hasn't hurt anybody yet, anyway. Well, so long. Guess you ain't much of a talker. No matter. So long. So long, I said and continued on my way with an anxious heart. He hasn't hurt anybody yet. What a nasty way to put it. The house pointed out was a low, whitewashed cottage close to the road, while the big barn lay some fifty feet back of it. The premises looked to be in good order, without anything extraordinary about them, unless it was that they were a little neater than is usual around a farmhouse. I crossed the little garden in front and knocked at the narrow door. It was opened at once, and Walker, grasping me by the hand, literally pulled me into the little parlor. He was looking positively youthful. His clothes were spruce, and there was a festive air about him generally. "'Ah!' he exclaimed, after helping me off with my overcoat. "'I half feared you wouldn't come. Now, didn't you think I was fooling you? Or crazy?' "'Oh, I came as soon as I could possibly get away,' I answered evasively. Now sit down and rest yourself, and we'll have a cup of tea. Sorry I haven't any wine to offer you, but, well, I don't keep any in the house. Discretion is the better, etc. As he talked, Walker busied himself in lighting a little lamp, filling the kettle, and bringing out cups. It was a fine day in winter, just cool enough to make the hot drink by the fire very welcome, and somehow I enjoyed myself in spite of my anxiety. Besides, Walker talked for some time on very commonplace subjects, in a very commonplace manner, till I began to hope I had been wrong in doubting his sanity. As I put down my cup for the second time, he rose and said, "'Now we'll go out to the barn and I'll introduce you to the Prince of Darkness. Don't look scared. It's only the name I have given my favorite horse.' He led the way through the house, out of the back door, and across the yard, while I followed reluctantly." I noticed that there were no houses within call, and there was an oppressive lack of life which usually surrounds a house in the country. Some horses were grazing in a field nearby, and a big dog was sunning himself near the barn, but they were silent, and there was no cheerful cackling of hens or grunting of pigs. At the barn door, Walker stopped and turned on me almost fiercely. "'Look here,' he said. "'I don't really know you very well now.' But we were chums once, and so I trust you. But I want your solemn promise that you will not reveal the manner in which the prince communicates with you. You are quite at liberty to repeat what he says, but the way in which he says it is in my discovery, and I prefer to give it to the world myself. Do you promise? I do. Then come along. The barn was a large, rambling old place, but we went at once to a roomy box stall, in which stood a handsome black horse, stamping impatiently. There was a comfortable, natural smell of hay and dust, but as I looked into the eyes of the Prince of Darkness, 
I thought I detected in them a too intelligent gleam, and half expected him to address me in some uncanny voice. Being utterly ignorant of scientific subjects and scientific terms, it is doubtful if I could rightly explain the manner of the prince's communication, even if I felt at liberty to do so, which is far from being the case. Some of my friends insist that I was hypnotized, that the thoughts which I believe to emanate from the horse were impressed on me by Walker, but I would remind you that I am strong-minded and not easily impressed. However, I will not attempt to explain how we communicated our thoughts. Suffice it to say that we did communicate them, and so interested did I become that I was surprised when the increasing darkness warned us that the short winter day was nearly ended. At first there was merely an interchange of polite phrases between us. The prince was kind enough to say that he was delighted to meet me, and I expressed my pleasure at being enabled to understand the views and opinions of a member of the equine race. These preliminaries over, we talked for some time on various subjects. But, somewhat to my surprise, I found that the prince had no strikingly original opinions. At last I ventured to ask him whether he did not find great pleasure on his new accomplishment. In a minute his aspect changed. He threw up his head with a sharp cry and stamped violently. Then, hanging his head as if ashamed, he expressed himself as willing to bear much misery for his master's sake. I was naturally somewhat alarmed by his sudden outburst, but Walker appeared to be completely upset by it. He turned white to the lips and shook visibly. After a few moments of silence, he went up to the horse and, flinging one arm lovingly over the glossy neck, exclaimed, "'Poor old fellow!' Why? Why didn't you tell me it pained you? The Prince of Darkness shook his head mournfully. I can bear it, I can bear it, he said. But oh, it is terrible to have thoughts. Before you taught me your words, I never thought I could only feel. But now, it is terrible. Thought after thought rushing through my brain, and never a moment's rest, for every thought suggests another, and there is no end to them. The agony is fearful at times. But it must be born now, so don't worry about me. I suppose you suffer in the same way yourself, only you are accustomed to it. Still with his face white and set, Walker filled the manger with fresh hay, stroked the prince's velvety nose, and went out of the barn, actually tottering in his walk. I followed slowly, quite at a loss what to do, even what to think of it all. I was no longer ready to pronounce Walker crazy." he had actually accomplished the marvelous feat he had undertaken. All the same, I was far from happy about him. When I came out of the barn, he was not in sight. I hurried to the house and found him in the parlor, lying full length on the floor and sobbing as if his heart would break. "'Come, come, Walker,' I said. "'Cheer up. You have achieved a wonderful success.' He sat up, stared at me, then laughed bitterly. "'Success? Yes.' But at what a price! Just consider the misery that poor brute has undergone, and I never once thought of it. And now I cannot undo my work. I know what he suffers. I know how his head aches and his brain throbs while he tries to rest and cannot. Oh, prince, prince, that I should have put you in such torment! So he went on till nearly midnight. It was heartrending to hear his self-reproaches. I tried to comfort him by saying that the horse would get over his mental troubles in time, as soon as he acquired full mental strength. Doubtless his education had been advanced too rapidly, 
and a little care would soon make him all right. But Walker would not be comforted. Time had increased his own mental troubles, and it would be the same with the prince. At last, when I saw that he was too exhausted to offer much resistance, I ordered him to go to bed, assuring him that in the morning we would be able to devise some way to relieve the horse. In my own mind, I thought it would really be best to kill the poor animal, but I did not venture to suggest it then. Walker had worked so hard for his success, and the result was so marvelous that it seemed wicked to throw it all away. Yet I shuddered when I recalled the agonizing eyes of the prince. Walker insisted on my taking his bed, saying that he would sleep well enough on the sofa by the fire. I went to his room, but left the door open, and kept a close watch over him until he went into a heavy sleep, when, I suppose, I soon followed his example. The next thing I remember is waking up suddenly and fancying I heard a terrible stamping and whinnying, and then the report of a pistol, followed immediately by a second shot. All was quiet again before I was thoroughly awake. I sat up and listened carefully. No, there was no sound except heavy, regular breathing in the next room. The fire and lamp had both gone out, and I could not see Walker, but he must be having a splendid sleep, the best possible medicine for his nerves. Having decided that the noises I had heard must have been mere echoes from the land of dreams, I soon fell asleep again. I did not wake again until the sunlight fell on my face through the blindless window. I jumped out of bed and looked into the next room. Walker was not there, but lying in front of the fireplace was a large dog asleep. As I listened to his heavy, regular breathing, a horrible fear came over me. Hastily putting on my things, I rushed out of the house and over to the barn. The door was open. My heart beat like a hammer. I stopped a moment to gather strength and listened. There were no sounds. I went in. There was the same comforting smell of hay and dust. I passed one or two stalls where horses were contentedly munching. A cat jumped down from a loft and rubbed against my legs, purring. There were no other sounds. Somehow I could not raise my voice to call for Walker, though I would have given anything to hear him answer me. I opened the door of the box where I had talked with the Prince of Darkness. They were both lying there, side by side. Dead. A pistol was still held in Walker's stiffened grasp. The eyes of the Prince of Darkness were closed and his expression was one of almost human peace. End of section 5 Recording by Sarah Angelisi